All right. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Monetizing Your Mental Capital. My name is Will Christensen, and I am thrilled to introduce Emma Tamir. Hello. Thank you for having me. Excited to chat with you today, Will. Yeah. At my favorite, Emma and I actually met. Uh, we were on the Prosper Show like intro call where James was. It was like the one of the last shows that James was just totally in charge of before he sold it to Emerald. And he got everybody together. And it was like one of the most dynamic calls I've ever been on in my entire life because everybody on the call was super vivacious and excited. And Emma and I connected there and we were like, we need to talk outside of this. And so we <laughs> chatted for a minute and it's been several years since then. And we reconnected. So it's been, it's been fun to connect. You know what year that was? That was Prosper 2020, which ended up being virtual. Wait, I thought that was Prosper 2019. Oh, was it 2019 Maybe. or was it 2020? I think it was 2020. Was it 2020? Okay, that's hilarious. That's even better. So that was a crazy year. I thought it might have been 20, 2019 because I spoke at Prosper 2019 just like on the main stage, that you know, the, that whole bit. And then he invited me back to come and do a workshop. And so I would have, it would have been, could have been either event, but man. I look back, actually. I, I remember I, I did a recording of myself telling me how to do Christmas lights over in my house. And like, I was like, all right, future self, this is how you do Christmas lights in your house. Because I mean, you forget stuff like that. Right. And I was like, it's 2020. Hopefully the horrors of 2020 are over. Like there was a voice from the past and I just laughed. I thought, man, you only knew what was next. <laughs> so you're right. That was an interesting year. It, it was indeed. It was indeed. All right. And here well, we are. Yeah. And here we, we survived. <laughs> um, I've had COVID many times and I survived and, and that's not to make light of those that, you know, had it serious and, and, you know, all of the above, but we're through that insanity. How's that? Indeed. Indeed. Thankfully. All right. Well, we're diving in here, Emma. Can you tell us for those sellers or individuals and entrepreneurs listening to this phone call and considering the idea of monetizing their mental capital? So, you know, the idea of trying to figure out how to upscale, get into services or productizing services or non-tangible products. You, you hand a seller, you know, a good that, you know, they can go list and there's demand. They can go make money on that. They, they, they know how to do that. But what they may not know how to do is, you know, start an agency or, or get into productized services. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about is your journey in that. But why, why would Emma know something about that journey? Well, I started along with my husband, Ares, a copywriting firm in 2016. So we're approaching the eight-year mark, which is pretty crazy. And we started out helping e-commerce businesses and Amazon sellers really connect with their dream customers in order to be able to not only maximize their conversions, but really to be able to win over loyal customers. Of course, the landscape has changed a lot since mm -hmm. 2016, but we mm -hmm. continue to do everything we can to stay at the forefront to make sure that we are equipping businesses with the tools that they need in order to succeed in today's crazy competitive e-com environment. I mean, it's it really is that the interesting thing is it's only gotten harder from that standpoint, but it's also gotten more sophisticated and there are more tools. I mean, it, it's it's amazing how much knowledge has been monetized in that whole process. All right, Emma, I want you to think back to the first time. We're going to go way back here. I want you to think back to the first time you monetized something, meaning you uh, went out and for, for some people, 
we've, we've heard everything from like a lemonade stand all the way to installing crazy computer gear, like the size of a house. I, I mean, one guy, he said, one of the first things I did monetizing was I put cat five cable, like networking cable into a hospital and we charged him like a million dollars. And I was like, you and a couple of buddies. And he was like, well, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a million dollars worth of profit. We made it. We only made like 500 grand. I was like, this is a great story. Like he just got together with some buddies and they knew somebody and made, made $500,000 and split it up between the four of them. I mean, well, it, just crazy awesome. stories. So what was the first time? I, I don't have a story. <laughs> what was the first time? Um, and, and, and it doesn't need to be crazy like any of those, but I'm curious. First time you remember monetizing something? You know, so I think I come from a very different angle than what a lot of people in the entrepreneur space is, which is selling things actually makes me super uncomfortable. And so I was not one of those people that was early on looking for ways that I could monetize what I was doing. Okay. I did a whole variety of things, but I wasn't necessarily doing it in exchange. So I definitely, you know, I would babysit a nanny in high school and whatnot. And I would say that I professionally started monetizing my skills really, you know, I had jobs through college, but after graduating uh, college and moving abroad to Spain. And I was the recipient of a grant to teach English in a bilingual school in central Spain, very much the land of Don Quixote in the La Mancha region. And the grant gave a small stipend, but it was really just barely enough to live on. And so if I wanted to be able to travel and get to know the country and eat all of the delicious foods and drink all of the delicious drinks and really experience living in Spain, mm -hmm. I needed to be able to make more money. And so mm -hmm. I I started teaching English to people, mm -hmm. um, mostly either children of teachers that I worked with or just people in the community that were looking to strengthen their English language skills. The coolest teaching job I had was actually teaching a handful of local winemakers how to teach English so, or how to speak English so that they could go represent their company in different places and engage with you know, potential business opportunities around their wine so that was a lot of fun i love yeah, that so guess, no no that's great started. that's great and, and i love that your journey's different that's actually one of the coolest parts about this podcast and, and talking to these different entrepreneurs many of them got into candy arbitrage like they were literally like hawking airheads at their <laughs> at their local school right and your journey's different which i think is beautiful right and, and i think that that idea of well i was really you know, the first time I got into that was, you know, in Spain and it all starts with a need. Um, that's the interesting commonality here, right? Like I had yeah. just enough to live on, but if I wanted to go do any of the other things I wanted to go do, I needed some extra cash. A and did you consider, I mean, it, there was some selling of your services in that situation, right? You had to sell the idea. Hey, I, I, I actually know English and can teach it. So you know, I, I can do this for you. So you had to kind of step across that uncomfortable threshold of not really loving the idea of selling. Oh, um, yeah. Well, I mean, I would say that the difference is, is that these opportunities 
came to me. So Mm. it was uncomfortable, but I didn't necessarily need to be the one pitching my services. Mm. After I had a few clients and I recognized the opportunity there, then I started to try to think of other ways that I could make it known that I was teaching lessons. But that definitely helped me get over that initial resistance and hurdle. So I would say the challenge actually was more in the fact that, yes, I Yes, I speak English, but I hadn't ever taught anything mm-hmm. before. And how do you actually put together a curriculum? How do you get people to engage? And I was teaching a wide range of ages. So on the upper end, I was teaching these uh, adults who were working at a, a vineyard. Mm-hmm. But on the other side of things, I was teaching young children. And mm-hmm. so young children and adults can both be very resistant to actually wanting to speak a new language, but Mm -hmm. the process that you're going to go through to actually get them to participate and get them interested and engaged is going to be very different. And so it definitely Mm -hmm. required a lot of trial and error and learning how to over-prepare because you think, oh, I have enough to fill two hours and 15 minutes (laughs) in, you're like, and what are we going to do with the rest of this? (laughs) (laughs) so there was some improvisation that had to happen at that moment to just be like okay so you made it through two hours worth of content in 15 minutes we're gonna okay turn to your partners and i want you to practice what you just said and then you're you know randomly flipping through a book or (laughs) trying to figure out what to do next yeah 100 i've been there i've been there (laughs) so as you as you looked at that skill and you looked at opportunities did the need come first or did the opportunity come, or, or, you know, chicken or the egg, right? Were you in a situation where it was like, man, I really wish I had some extra cash to go travel. And you kind of mentioned that in conversation to someone, or was it more like someone knew you were teaching because the other teachers were there and they were like, Hey, could you come like teach my kids how to do this? Or like, what do you remember how that yeah, came I think about? The op- I think the opportunity presented itself before the need. I was still very much kind of just setting my feet down in this country and trying to learn an entirely new culture and get acquainted with this new school. And a teacher came up to me and asked me if I would be interested because the person that was in my role the previous year had also been offering lessons. And so there was almost Uh this sort of like a, tradition of the English teacher at that school also offering lessons to those who were interested. And this was all happening in during the um, the economic crisis that Europe was experiencing in the mm. late 2000s, aughts, I guess. And that time, particularly in Spain, things were very challenging. And so Mm. I think that people really had the belief that if you wanted to be able to succeed, then you needed to be able to have language skills because you very well may need to leave the country in order to find a good job. Fortunately, things have, have changed for the better since then. But at that time in particular, that was a real Mm. stress throughout the, the country and really the region. So it's it's interesting because not only was this a skill you had, but it was also a need that was widespread. And that's another so so this part of the the podcast, we talk a little bit about like, well, how do you identify what skills you have that you could monetize? And I think the interesting thing here is you kind of walked into demand that was preset, you know, thank you to those other 
English teachers who had kind of set that precedent because, you know, you were able to step into that. So I think that's an interesting take that I haven't considered on any of the other episodes. You know, are there precedents? Are there traditions or other people who are out there doing something similar? Like they have skills, knowledge ladders that they've climbed, so to speak, where they're already offering those sorts of things. So another question I could ask myself if I were considering what what sort of knowledge product, ebook or or course or or productized skill could I start? Considering, you know, well, what have other people done that are in my shoes? You know, uh, go Google, you know, e-commerce sellers selling services or e-commerce sellers becoming agency owners or become, you know, I think there's a, an opportunity to look at those who preceded us, which I haven't ever considered before. Yeah, well, you know, the thing that, first of all, it's a great observation. And I think the thing that's very unique about monetizing a skill is that it's finite and to a certain degree, because you are only capable of producing so much as one individual. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you know, contrasting that with a product based Mm -hmm. business and Mm -hmm normally it's capital that you run into the most issues with, but in this Mm -hmm. case, it's really a matter of time. And so, especially if you're offering a very customized individual service, like teaching one-on-one or small group language Mm -hmm. classes, you know, if you're in a place, I mean, it's possible that things are maxed out. So you would want to see whether there is a demand But in many cases, there is going to be a demand that exceeds what is currently supply. supply. Or maybe it's just a different approach or perspective that you Mm -hmm. could bring to things that would make people interested in you. For example, one of my best students at the time, he was probably around like 10 or 11, and he loved rock and roll music, like loved it. And he was really, really good at English because he was so into the music that he would look up the lyrics and he really wanted to understand the music that all of his favorite bands were playing. And so maybe you could create a school or a course or just one-on-one lessons that was music-themed language learning that would be very appealing Mm. to people that may feel a bit intimidated by a traditional classroom kind of Mm -hmm. approach to language. Mm -hmm. So there's almost always a unique spin that you can bring to pretty much anything. You just Mm -hmm. have to, you know, get creative. Mm -hmm. I love that. So what questions do you ask yourself to consider some of those unique angles? Because I love that, like, you basically said, okay, what's a unique spin or unique way if I were going to go, you know, build a language course and what, what would be a unique way that I could bring that to the market or help people see something different than maybe what I, what I considered before. What questions do you ask yourself? It sounds like you, in this moment, you looked at it and said, well, who was really good? Who seemed to have a leg up on everybody else? Oh, that guy. Wait, why was, oh, music. Oh, wait, there's a, you know, like, is that kind of where you're drawing the I would say let's fast forward now to our agency marketing by Emma and sort of the process that we took. So when 
we started this business, I was a little bit resistant to the idea. It was really my husband and business partner, Erez, that was giving that nudge. And the reason for that was because he had a lot of friends that were in the Amazon and e-commerce space from different sides of it. So some were teaching courses, some had communities, some were just selling products. And he saw this opportunity very specifically in a niche that at the time there was very little in the way of service providers. And so mm. that's how we kind of approached things was we made the very deliberate decision that we weren't going to just go after being a generalized copywriting firm mm. or a generalized marketing agency. We weren't even going to be a generalized Amazon agency. Mm. We were going to offer a very specific service with a very like significant impact. And so that not only allowed us to be able to differentiate ourselves, it allowed us to have different kinds of partnerships that we wouldn't necessarily have been able to have otherwise. Mm. And it really allowed us to be able to become the leaders in that space that was still very much a fledgling space. There wasn't mm -hmm. a lot of content being created about mm. branding and positioning and copywriting for Amazon because when we got into it, most of the tools that exist now did not exist. Mm. A plus content was called EBC and almost nobody had it because it looked really <laughs> clunky and it was very difficult and time, you know, it would take like even as much as a year or more to get approved. So it was wow. not just this like, you know, easy yeah. thing that it is now. It was just so much less sophisticated and less developed. And then on the other side, it was also way less competitive. And mm -hmm. so people didn't necessarily feel like they needed to be investing in really Copy. solid creative yeah. because they could just throw up this catalog of a bunch of random products that had nothing to do with each other and make money. Well, there Obviously. was nobody, nobody competing, right? It, it, the same thing was happening on the, on the product side, people, you know, they all, there, were, there was only one back scratcher. Like it wasn't like you had to have fantastic content. If you exactly. wanted to buy a back scratcher from Amazon, there was only one there and it didn't even have great reviews. Right. And, and people were buying it because Amazon was driving so much demand to the site. And so it wasn't until people started to pick up on the idea, wait a minute, I don't even have to work on my listings. And then eventually, you know, competition, competition, competition. And now it's really important. Yeah, exactly. And so that I think we had the advantage of being fairly early movers in mm. that particular space. Mm. But that was also very strategic on our part because yeah. we could have decided right from the beginning, we'll just take any product projects that come across our desk. But what happens then is you go really wide. You don't really become known for anything. You're com the competition that you're going up against is massive. Mm -hmm. You don't really have anything that you can say, oh, we do this exceptionally well. Mm -hmm. And then it also becomes much more complicated to yeah. really build out solid SOPs to make sure that you're able to deliver super mm -hmm. top-notch work. So riches in the niches is a phrase that we bring up a lot on these podcasts. And it's interesting to see this trend kind of pu push on it. 
one of the things that I find very interesting is you avoided a mistake that I, you know, I, I started an agency, an automation agency that was the data automation still around today. It still connects, you know, e com inventory to A to B or, or, or orders or whatever. That, that's what they still do. In the beginning, I was literally going to be like, I'll automate anybody, anything for anybody, right? And e-commerce was sort of what we fell into because Brandon Checkett started Seller Labs and we had a lot of connections on the e-commerce side. It wasn't a, a conscious choice we made to go to go dive into that. And man, did we pay for it. I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars of like, oops, wish we had uh, narrowed this focus sooner to look at. That. So I'm curious, what, what made you guys feel like, wow. I mean, because in some ways you skipped a huge headache that a lot of the founders that are on this podcast, that they they didn't. So I'm curious, what, what made you decide to narrow down so quickly? You know, I think part of it is I... Perfectionism is a double-edged sword. So there are things that are really problematic and can really slow down growth and work against you. But I think there are other sides of perfectionism that are really valuable. And so I think my natural tendencies as a perfectionist and making sure that I wanted to be positive that every single thing that we sent out was superb to the best of our abilities and knowledge, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that was a big factor for me. And also our company is called Marketing by Emma. It is my face on it. And so even though <laughs> even though we eventually moved into hiring a team and having other people involved in the production, I've always felt very attached to making sure that what we're sending out is aligning with how I want to, you know, the quality that I want to be associated mm -hmm. with. And reputation is so important. And it is something that mm -hmm. is very difficult to rebuild once mm -hmm. it's tarnished. And so yeah. on the flip side, maybe we would have been able to grow massive in a way that we didn't. You know, I, I'm sure that I held us back from opportunities, which you never know whether those opportunities could have been spectacular or could have blown up in your face. <laughs> but on the and to the same degree that did allow for a high level of discipline and making sure that we just were very obsessive over delivering something superb and in order to do that we had to be very focused i think it's much harder to say no to things than it is yes i think i mean there there's an entire book the power of no right like i think it is much harder to say no to things and so for me, I feel like what you did was actually harder than saying, you know, the opposite where I just said yes to lots of things. And we ended up taking on lots of not profitable projects because that we didn't know what we were doing, but man, were they interesting and fun, right? Like, so I, so I think you're, you know, maybe we could have scaled bigger or I, I'm not, I'm not positive. I don't, I, I don't think there's opportunities you missed there. I, in fact, I think that this land and expand idea, right? I'm going to choose a niche that's so niche that I can nail down and I can find the people, I can find the thousand people in the world who care about this. And I can find the 20 early adopters of those thousand people and build something so perfect that the rest of the thousand are like, oh my gosh, I'll pay through the nose for that because it added so much value. So I I think that you, you made a, a solid decision. I think that's a major roadblock. As you consider looking back on this journey, right? Going all the way from 
teaching English lessons all the way forward. And now you're monetizing a, a skill and you're right. You're very attached to the brand. As you look at all of that, what other roadblocks did you face? Any other roadblocks coming to mind that were like, oof, yeah, this was rough. So many. <laughs> I didn't have any business acumen. So it's really been a series of, oh, I would have loved to know that that was even a question that I needed to ask. I never managed anybody before. So I needed to learn how to not only manage people, but also to hire people. And that has been um, a very challenging learning curve for me. I think that's mm-hmm. probably still one of my weaker skill sets is mm-hmm. recruiting and hiring. I just don't feel like I'm naturally gifted at that. But I think more than anything else, I kind of in tandem with the perfectionism is letting go is not easy for me. And mm-hmm. so there were lots of things that it really took me a long time before I was willing to say, you know what, I don't have to be the Mm -hmm. person to do this. And Mm -hmm. I still think that even so many years down the road, when I'm very stressed, when there's a lot going on or a lot of uncertainty, be it outside in my personal life or in the business, Mm -hmm. those tendencies definitely Mm reemerge. And so it's something that I kind of constantly need to be aware of, of is this truly something that I have to do? Or is this actually something that somebody else on my team is very capable of doing? Or is this just really not that important? And it's something that like, maybe we can do six months from now if we have time and Mm -hmm. still decide that it's that it's important. So it's kind of like that, ben, I think it's the Ben Franklin matrix. I don't know if, mm. you're, if you're familiar mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. I think it was Ben Franklin. If it was not, then please excuse me for not. For you're totally that. good. There's, I mean, there are lots of different matrices and priority. I mean, lots of different people who've talked about, you know, urgent and important and, you know, what to delegate and where, where to focus on one that I'll throw out just because as you were describing that, it reminded me of Dan Martell and Buy Back Your Time. If you haven't read that book, it, it is fantastic. He says, 80% as good as you is 100% freaking awesome. So so if the person can only handle 80%, it, they're, they're like, wow, I could have done that 20% better than they did. That's 100% freaking awesome because you didn't have to do it anymore. And, and, and he's got a buyback equation for buying back your time and all of the above that go into that. But a hundred percent agree with you. Like that's such a, a key piece of it. So what did you do to overcome some of those challenges? I, the the management side and the letting go. So one of the really difficult things about monetizing a skill and a knowledge base versus selling a product is that how do you get people up to speed? And also how do you put enough sort of rules and processes in place to ensure that a creative output is good, but not so much that it's actually going to take away from the creative potential. Mm-hmm. And so there's it's it's pretty complicated to to do a lot of those things because it's not it's not all purely formulaic. And so right. one of the things that we made a decision about very early on was do we hire people that have Amazon knowledge and experience Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or do we hire really great writers and teach them that what they need to know in order to be able to Mm -hmm. create effective copy for amazon and we chose the latter because from my Mm. perspective creativity 
is very difficult to create if it's not there. Mm-hmm. And the Amazon knowledge was more rules-based, where if they are a good writer, they can learn how to operate within the parameters of what they need to. Mm-hmm. But there is still a lot of nuance there. Like Amazon is the opposite of cut and dry. It is not, you know, <laughs> this is this is just like the basic <laughs> set of rules that every single product and every single mm-hmm. category mm-hmm. needs to follow. Every it's like there's like a, a caveat to almost every rule mm-hmm. when it comes mm-hmm. to Amazon. And so like it's difficult to pass on that knowledge when it isn't it is not so finite. But that was really, that was the sort of bigger picture decision that we made. And then it really became, how do we actually document this all out? So like I Mm. wrote a 150 page training manual, you know, that went into everything. And now it's in probably it's like fifth iteration and is constantly being updated. But that was what we needed to do for that. And then kind of on the other side, so I I removed myself from the writing. I eventually removed myself from the direct editing. And then it kind of became, okay, well, I also need to remove myself because I'm being stuck answering client emails all day. But that's also really complicated because Mm -hmm. this is more of an admin level job Mm -hmm. that requires a really deep knowledge of the Amazon and e-commerce space because the kinds of questions that we're getting are not just basic copy-paste questions. There's a Mm -hmm. million different things that people could be asking about at any given time. And so then that became another like, okay, just just start documenting every single response, every single potential question, but it took a lot of time. So I love that. In productizing knowledge, one of the things that I think people misunderstand or miss is a true product is defined. It it has limits, right? And a physical product, you think of a back scratcher or a a flashlight or a fidget toy, its limitations are in its physical space, right? You, you you, You don't pick up a fidget toy and it's got like a fuzzy edge and like that like transforms into something else. Like it it is a physical object. It is physically defined. Knowledge is a little bit more fuzzy, right? And so the way that you define that knowledge is with those standard operating procedures. It is with choosing to niche down to that specific area. That definition in its format and not just definition that lives in your head, right? You, You said it like it couldn't just be in my head anymore. It had to be written down. That's the definition of productizing when it comes to knowledge, right? You you have to write it down. You have to create boundaries around not only what you will sell, but how you sell it and you know what it's going to do for the world. And another person can't scale up and create it until you've created that template. Exactly. So. And that's why, you know, you asked why did we sort of choose the particular niche that we chose? The ability to productize an Amazon listing was one of the very significant reasons for that. And we leaned all into productizing. Our website is a Shopify website. So you can literally go to, sh- to our Shopify site 
and buy an Amazon listing, just like you would a pair of leggings or a thermos or, you know, whatever other product you would buy. And it very clearly defines this is exactly what it comes with. This is exactly, you know, instead of a shipping time, this is sort of like the stages. The delivery of- time. Exactly. And and also what we're going to need from you in order to be able to actually facilitate that and make it happen. You get automated emails with a questionnaire that, you know, we've tried to build in as much automation as possible, which is another way that we've been able to kind of streamline some of these things, Mm. especially as as we grew. But Emma, that's flipping awesome. Hold on. We got to We got to highlight that for a second. (laughs) You are freaking selling knowledge on a Shopify website. Like, like, I don't know any other agency owner that is, is currently like, oh yeah, on my website, you can buy an Amazon listing right now today, click a button and, and it's in the queue, right? Like, I don't know anyone else who's leaning into and talk about, this is cool because on multiple levels, you're proving that e-commerce is not just about physical goods, right? You are using an e-commerce platform and you're doing, I mean, talk about forcing you to like, if, if you think about it, like if, if I'm selling a service, like, like those English lessons, the English, what does an English lesson include? Well, it could include thousands of different iterations and what they understand versus what you understand. I mean, especially if it's verbally communicated, right? Like, Wow, that could include so many things with so many misunderstandings and opportunity for for lack of communication. In your instance, creating a service that's listed on a Shopify site, like there's no other way to do it. Like you, it has a title, it has a description, it has images, right? Like you had to define the product by the pure source of what you chose to do. So I think that's a beautiful example of a hack. That someone, you know, if, I, if I'm an Amazon seller, I understand listings. I understand those pieces. So, you know, my challenge to that Amazon seller is, can you put it on your Shopify store? You know, can, can you set up a second Shopify store and, and or use your demo account and put it into that format? Even if, you, even if that's not how you sell it to begin with, because you're not ready to have it go out that way. The exercise of putting it into a product listing, talk about. That's fantastic. That's a really good hack. Yeah. In general, whatever you're selling, I think if you treat it as if it's kind of like a landing page or a product page, you will really have to drill down and think very strategically about how to present what it is that you're selling in a way that is going to be attractive, compelling, and interesting Mm -hmm. enough for the person that you're trying to sell to, to want to click a potentially just a purely hypothetical add to cart button. Uh, And so it's, it's a great exercise. I mean, you know, even considering if you're just looking for a job and Mm -hmm. thinking about a cover letter or your resume as if it were a product page, Mm. I'm not suggesting that humans are, you know, are just products that Uh, are dispensable in that way, but it really, it will give a, a, a degree of clarity, precision, and impact that considering the idea of like on a sales call at the end what do i really want them to do i want them to click the dang add to cart button right and that's the equivalent of setting up another call or whatever that next action is but if you consider it like e-commerce has this level of simplicity to it that draws a lot of people in they like the idea of like it's not arbitrary 
And I think what you're saying is like, look, if you put it into a product listing, the arbitrary has to go out the window because you have to figure out how to describe it and go at those ways. Okay. Yes. Well, you know, and one of my biggest pet peeves, sorry to interrupt you, go for but it. like, go for it. I hate when a company is like contact for pricing. <laughs> To me, that feels so manipulative because you know what it signals to me? We don't really have set pricing. We just want your money. And so whether you have $50 to spend or $500,000 to spend, we're, we want to make sure that we're getting your contact details and then eking out as much as we possibly can. Or we're just totally like, we don't really have clarity about what it is that we're selling. Or we think that you are price sensitive. And so you won't want to engage with us if you know what our prices are. Which is so silly because if your prices are too high for me, if truly I have a budget, which mm -hmm. any business owner should respect somebody that has a budget, mm -hmm. and your services are far beyond what mm -hmm. my budget allows for, mm -hmm. it is not in either of our best interests to have an interaction at this point in time. Yeah. I think it's interesting because I've been on both sides of that coin and I've I've worked in multiple companies. In some, some situations, I find that the thing that you're selling is so complex, it's difficult to get it all out in a product listing. And I think that's part of why some of them push on there. But there are some of them that push the line. And it's like, seriously, you your, your service is not so complex that you couldn't put it on this page. Or you could at least put a range or give me an yeah, idea. Starting because, at, yeah, start, exactly. you know, there's, there's some sort of way that you can give a sense of what yeah. the price point it, that I can expect is going yeah. to be. Yeah. And this idea of withholding information to not turn a customer off mm -hmm. in general, even if you're not selling a service, even if you are selling a product, mm. it's not good for your long-term business strategy yeah. to do that. Like well, if, I, if I'm selling a supplement and it's not good for a certain category of people, a really bad idea for me to keep that information to myself because I want to get those people's contact details. And that's this, it, maybe that sounds like a, an elevated risk because then we're talking about people's health. But even still, it's much better to maintain trust, even if that means that that person is not going to be a current customer. Mm -hmm. Because maybe they're going to refer somebody else to you, or maybe yeah. they're going to be working at yeah. a different company three years from now. And so when we try to manipulate people into doing something by withholding a piece of information, yeah. I just think that it long-term rarely pays off. Yeah. I I can, I hear the passion. I, I, I heard the, I hate. <laughs> <laughs> and I can see that you've gone... 180 degrees the other direction you you are showing so much transparency in i'm still i, I that's going to shock me for a while i like you're literally selling your service through a shopify store what a great way to be like in the e-commerce space but also in the service space and just show your clients like look we get it you can actually you know purchase this through a shopify store just like you know we sell our products the same way you sell yours which right. is which is so cool okay so Imagine you were able to make a phone call back to Emma back, you know, all, all the way back to, you know, she's just barely setting some pricing around her first English class. You know, she, you, you're going to call her on the phone. Imagine that you, you, you know, pick up your phone and go, I can call her right now. What, what would you tell her that might help her on her knowledge monetization journey that she doesn't already know? 
if she's just beginning in that journey. And you've you've given a couple of ideas of that throughout this throughout this call, but I, I find that that's an interesting question to ask because invariably we find something else that might might come into your mind. So I think that when you are selling knowledge in some form, you have to essentially be telling the world, I'm smart enough. I have the, enough experience. I have this thing that makes what I'm able to offer better than the average person, which is some people that comes naturally, like some people that's second nature to them. That's not to me. I still struggle with that in many facets of my life where I'm asking myself, like, do I have enough expertise to talk on this thing? Would anybody want to like, you know, hear what I have to say on this and whatnot? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I am very actively working on that, but I wish that I could have really started working on that part of things then because I think I I think the whole journey would have been much more joyful and much less riddled with you know self doubt and hopefully I would have been a little bit further along on that journey if I would have started sooner so I would just say you don't have to be the world expert on something to to be able to give value to someone mm. and and so to recognize what you are able to offer and that that is valuable to mm -hmm. people. Yeah. I love that. So, I mean, if you were to sum that up and I were to rephrase it, it's essentially, look, Emma, you were about to teach an English class and you maybe have never done that before. Don't be self-conscious about the fact that you don't know what you're doing here because you know more than they do. And that's enough. Yeah. And so if you can focus on the fact that you being a little farther along in the journey is enough and you focus less about how far ahead you are, continue to plunge forward, like, be, like become more of an expert, but worry less about how far ahead you are of the other individuals that you're teaching, because you can still bring value just by being a little ahead of the game. Right. 100%. Love it. Love it. That is a fantastic word of advice for uh, young Emma as she's trying to figure out um, this this journey. Next, I love to do this part. It's fun to see the, the passion come out here. So we're going to pretend that you just stepped into an elevator and the guy next to you is like, yeah, I'm an Amazon seller, you know, eight figures. And I don't know, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty fun. So you've got 60 seconds now that you're going to, you know, introduce yourself, talk about what you're passionate about, draw him in a little bit to consider what marketing by Emma is. Um, so I'm going to give you 60 seconds. And I'm going to time you. And then at the end of that 60 seconds, I'm going to ask you another question, which is any tools, trips, tricks, or hacks that you've used over the past year that have helped you in your journey owning an agency or monetizing knowledge. So you don't need to remember that second question. You know how I told you that I'm not a natural salesperson? <laughs> so like my initial inclination is going to, I'm going to stand quietly in the elevator, having an internal battle with myself about how I should say something, but I'm too scared to say something and probably wasting at least 30 seconds, if not longer of that time on just the battle. And <laughs> Okay. So we've nailed it past the battle. You still got a minute and uh, I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm timing you here. Oh what gosh. would you what would you say? Let's let's say that. And I know I'm pushing you outside of your comfort zone because this is normally your husband that does this part. But you you tell me what why would it be a good idea to engage with 
marketing by Emma? Competition is crazy right now and ad costs are going through the roof. And so there really are, You're good. it's incredibly important that sellers figure out whatever they can to be able to convert more of that traffic, make all of those expenses more efficient so that they have more profit to either be able to develop and grow other revenue streams or be able to actually put that into their pockets. So that's essentially what we do is we really help brands figure out how they can carve out a unique niche for themselves to differentiate themselves from the million other competitors out there, not only to win over customers, but really to create loyal fans that want to tell other people about their products and keep coming back to buy them. Beautiful. You had another 10 seconds. So I love it. Okay. <laughs> Emma, any tips, tricks, hacks, or books that you've recently come across which have helped you as a business owner, as someone who who is literally monetizing knowledge. What what would you say about that? Any any coming to mind? Well, if you're monetizing knowledge, just to get on my soapbox for a moment, you should definitely be fertilizing your mind with as much as possible. And I am a big believer in also cross-fertilizing. So not just staying narrowly in your lane, but really taking on a wide breadth of information. So that's just my general pitch for if you're doing this, you should be investing daily time into learning. So that's just a basic. As far as a recent book that I read, I just finished Contagious, which is pretty interesting. Mm. It is essentially the scientific explanation for why things go viral and what's interesting is, is it was written in, I think, 2008 or 2009. And so all of the references are very outdated. You know, he's talking about things that honestly, probably a lot of people wouldn't even know about or remember anymore. But I, it seems like they still very much hold up. I'd love to see an updated version that talks more about, you know, platforms like TikTok and things like that. But I think it still holds true. And ultimately, whatever it is that you are selling, the more that you can really get to know and understand human psychology and what motivates people to make the decisions that they do, either voluntarily or involuntarily, because there are many patterns that our brains get into that we don't realize that lead us down a decision-making path. And Mm -hmm. so you really need to be able to understand that if you're going to be selling something, if you're going to Mm -hmm. be needing partners, even if you're going to be taking on, you know, employees and you need to figure out what Mm -hmm. you can do to motivate them. So it's something that's going to impact every single aspect of what you're doing. If it it has anything to do with other humans. So Mm -hmm. that would be my, my pitch. I'll throw out another one there. There's a book by Alex Hermosi called hundred million dollar offers. And that book does a fantastic job of describing the value equation. And it, and it talks about how like, it's all about understanding. Uh, he, he said that he was like this young guy out of college. He ended up in this room with a bunch of other business people and basically didn't understand anything. And he, he grabs the guy at the end. He's like, I paid like $5,000 to be here or something like that. And like, I, I don't really know like what, like, I, I don't understand. He said, Alex, selling is all about finding an offer that's so good that the other person feels dumb not saying yes. And he was like, I got it. 
I got it. Right. And so uh, very similar to what you're saying, right? Like understand the human psychology around that offer. Thank you so much for joining us. How can individuals get in touch? Assuming they wanted to reach out. Absolutely. So our website, marketingbyemma.com kind of has all of our details there, you know, email, phone, WhatsApp, contact form. We also offer a free listing analysis if you would like our team to take a look and provide some free feedback about your listing and what you might be able to do to get those conversion rates up or attract more of the right customers or whatever kind of needs that your Amazon listing could be fulfilling. And I also recently started a YouTube channel, Marketing by Emma. So I'm going to do a little shameless plug for that. If you like this kind of content, I talk about marketing and e-commerce and Amazon, but I also talk about the entrepreneurship, mental mindset side of things as well. So I'm, I'm geeking out about all sorts of things over there and would love it, would love it for people to join me. Cool. I actually saw a few of your videos, enjoyed it. it you you do a good job editing and and oh uh, I'm not, you know talking but, about delegating I hire someone through that well you do a good job choosing editors to knock that out and and I I think the presentation's done well so I I, I watched a few of your videos I thought they were good thank so. you very much awesome well that's it for our uh, episode of monetizing your mental capital thanks so much for joining us today thank you.